0: What's up, guys? Welcome back to another Sport Universe podcast. It's me, Brian. I'm drumming Nick.
1: What's going on, guys? And Max. Hello, everybody.
0: All right. So we got a mainly focused podcast of football and basketball to talk about today. So we're going to go right into football.
2: Yeah. So this week, uh, a lot of defensive games, Uh, some interesting weather happenings, a lot of interesting stuff. So getting right into it. Uh, Our first game, we had the Colts versus the Titans. Colts picked this one up 34 to 17. Uh, Colts move to six and three. Titans are at six and three. Uh, you know, another tough loss for the Titans here. Uh, it, we've seen a lot of good stuff out of the Colts so far this season um, in spurts. Um, you know, just, you know, Michael Pittman Jr. comes back from injury, uh, their second round draft pick, and he had a hundred yard game. Um, you know, he's one of my fav- one of my more favorite receivers coming out of this year's draft. So it was good to see him do well. Um, I think he will be a staple for that Colts offense for quite some time. Um, Philip Rivers, 308 yards, one touchdown 113.7 QBR uh, You know, solid game For the Colts here um, You know, they, they really took it to the Titans um, I'm sure Max is going to have to say more um, So I'll leave
1: it to Max Alright, yeah, this game was um, Pretty bad for the Titans And I might give a bit of a rant here Because that's, that seems fitting for this game But, yeah, so let's start So, I'd say the The first half was not bad, actually I thought it was actually pretty good um, we, the offense got out rolling really quickly. Everybody seemed to get involved, and it, and it ended with a Ryan Tannehill pass to Deontay Foreman. It was 7-0. It was one of the better opening drives I had seen from the team all year. And, and the defense wouldn't do that great in the first half. In fact, they'd allow a lot of yards, but they were making the stops when they had to. They uh, allowed they held the Colts' two fuels, which was good. They also had a fourth down stop and they would go up 17-10 to 10 at halftime, and even, or 17-13, my bad, and even in the third quarter, the Colts had the opening drive, and, and they get stopped on fourth and goal. It was a goal-line stop, and then right after, Derek Henry, he'd break a few um runs, and would be second and one, and the team seemed to be rolling here at this point, but then this was when the, um, the team would take out Henry for a second. They wanted to look at his shoulder. They thought something might have happened to it. Of course, nothing happened, but this is where the momentum of the game turned because we'd hand it off to Deontay Foreman on the next play. He wouldn't get anything. And then Ryan Tannehill gets sacked. And then we had a punt go for 17 yards, which, and then the Colts scored off that. We had a block punt for a touchdown, missed a field goal on the next drive, Colts scored the next drive, and then and then going for it on that next drive. And we turned the ball over in opposing territory. So it was a, it was a bad game in the end. And I'll... I think really the two, the three main areas I want to focus on are um, special teams, defensive coaching. The offense, I mean, I'm still concerned about them a little bit because they've been falling off the past two weeks. Um, they haven't scored more. They haven't scored more than twenty. What is twenty four points in a game? They haven't scored more than that since the Texans game. And I, I I feel like they do have that ability, but they're not putting together results as of late, which is concerning. But on defense, it's still really bad. We, the, a Mike Vrabel is calling way too many. It's, it seems like it seems like whenever the cornerbacks line up, there's not enough press coverage. There's all the receivers for the Colts in this game. We're getting way too much leverage uh, at the line of scrimmage, and of course Rivers on going to beat you like downfield, but he kept making these short throws that resulted in yards, and Titans also couldn't stop the run. So that carves up our defense for the majority of the night. Special teams. So last, so two weeks ago, Brett Kern, who was one of the best punters in the league, he got hurt. And then Vrabel brought in Ryan Allen, who the former punter for the Patriots, who was doing pretty well. He did decent against the Bears, but for whatever, whatever reason, he got taken out for Trevor Daniel, who worked at FedEx last week. <laughs> or, I believe that's what it was. Yeah, that, I'm not kidding about that either. He was working at FedEx the week before the game. He comes in, does terrible. So yeah, really, the defense is the one unit. They've been horrible all year. I have no faith in them. Um, the special teams, once again, the kicking game is atrocious. Scott he's really good from range, but just not consistent enough. He can't, hit, he cannot hit from like forty some yards. He can't hit within that range, which is a problem. I mean, you and then the punting, I I expect that to be better once. Um, I assume we're going to put. Ryan Allen back in, but still, that was a terrible showing. And just that's one. Of, I feel like that's one of the areas for a championship team that people that thought the Titans were, you demand execution from. But no, it was terrible, and it, it was really a huge reason for the momentum shifting in the Colts' favor, which is really how they won on Thursday night. And a lot of it's Ra- Mike Rabel's fault, too, because instead of keeping in Ryan Allen, who would have done just fine, probably wouldn't have had a 17-yard punt, he puts in Trevor Daniel. And that's a huge momentum switch, and who knows? Maybe the rest of the, maybe the rest of the game doesn't play out the way it does if it's a normal punt. So, it's just not good. And as right now, I mean, maybe hopefully I'm overreacting, but right now, I don't see the Titans as legit contenders anymore because you know the way I see it is based on the way your team's playing. It's you know it's all about like right now and whether or not you're feared by other teams, and I don't think right now titans are feared by other teams because it just it seems like a while back that they were ranked number one in the afc now they've slipped to number nine in the conference in a 17 playoff pool so i mean and right now there are other like for example i fear the miami dolphins who nobody really thought of seriously going into the year they're doing well i, I fear the dolphins more than i fear the titans right now I mean, i'm just gonna i think that's just the way it is you know hopefully things can change i Maybe this team is better when expectations aren't on them, but right now it's just not looking good, and I don't I don't feel that great about it.
2: I mean, I totally agree with you. I think the Titans have really fell apart down the stretch, especially on defense, and it's really held this team back. Um, and if they can't get it together, I think they have a good. Again, I think they have a lot of talent on that defense. but They got to be able to
1: make it mesh if they're going to be legitimate contenders. I will I will say you know the the winner the loser rather of the. Titans Ravens game this weekends in a lot of trouble. You know, looking at the Ravens Pats game last night, you know, they were it, it was raining, to be fair, but they were beating the the Ravens for a while. Their offense was carving up the Patriots defense was lot with a lot of the same stuff that the Colts beat the Titans with. There was a lot of you know short passes and runs. So I think and I think Mike Rabel is hinted to this week in practice, practicing with a lot of press coverage, which is good. Because I cause that's certainly for a quarterback like Lamar Jackson, he's gonna be tough to beat. You know, he's not going to be able to have that checkdown option which he needs. So hopefully that comes into, hopefully that changes things. But I want to see some results. Mm-hmm. I totally agree with you. Um, so moving on from there, uh, the next game that we had
2: was the Browns and Texans. A uh, really defensive game here. Uh, t- Browns wind up wind up winning it ten to seven. Browns are now six and three. Texans are two and seven. Uh, Texans continue to struggle down the stretch. They don't really have an identity as we've mentioned. Um, you know, beyond Deshaun Watson, they really don't have much going for them. Um, and then the Browns, of course, you know, uh, they were, had Nick Chubb return this week. Uh, had a pretty phenomenal week, as we've seen Nick Chubb do since he's came out of Georgia. Uh, 126 yards, one touchdown. Cream Hunt matched that with 104 yards. Uh, you know, a pretty good game, I think, for, for the uh, Browns, you know, down the stretch. It was a really tough game. Um, you know, I caught glimpses of this game. The weather was really bad. They had winds of over 20 miles an hour. It was interesting, first time I've ever seen this. Uh Texans are, are about the, I think, 35, 40 yard line um, of the Browns, right? Fourth down. Uh they go to kick a field goal. Again, the winds are blowing twenty yards, uh, 20 miles an hour. Uh Texans snap the ball. They faked the field goal and punt it, pinning the Browns deep. Um, at that point, they were down by three points. Um you know, it was seven to ten. They, they pinned the Browns deep. Uh the Browns wind up winning it seven to ten. If they would have kicked that field goal, uh, he would have had a tie game. Maybe they would have went to overtime. Um, you know, again, really close game. I think if you're a Texans fan, you can't be too upset. Um, with you know, I think objectively, the Browns are the better team here. Um, it really comes down to uh, execution, which the Browns have been very inconsistent on throughout the entire year. Deshaun Watson finishes with 163 yards, one touchdown, 95.4 QBR. Um, Rushing wise, nothing special for the Texans. Passing wise, nothing special. Again, pretty defensive game, which is really aided by the weather. Um, again, Browns had a lot of rushing yards, not a lot of passing yards. Um, you know, and then I, I believe it was at the last play, Nick Chubb breaks a big yard and steps out of bounds. I think on like in the one yard line. Uh, so a lot of fa- fantasy owners are kind of pissed about that. The Nick Chubb did not score the touchdown. Um, you know, that's about my coverage for the game, Max. What do you have to say?
1: Yeah, I have to say that the weather has a lot to do with this game being the way it was. But it was delayed by 30 minutes, I believe it was, 30, 40 minutes. And then it moves really, really quickly. It almost caught up with the other games of the 1 o'clock session just because it was moving so fast because the teams were just running clock the whole time. And, you know, looking at the two teams, yeah, the weather's bad, but... Look at the Texans. I thought they had. I thought they would upset the Browns in this game. As I thought, you know, looking at the Sean Watson, I really don't think the Browns are that good of a football team. As we've seen, you know, they don't, they get blown out by um, superior competition, and then they don't play very. I mean, they play okay. It's just inconsistent against other teams. So, yeah, I mean, Texans all but done at this point. I was really surprised that their run game wasn't getting much going yesterday, even though David Johnson's out and he's on IR. I thought. You know, Duke Johnson was filling in okay for, actually filling in just fine for them against the Jaguars. I figure a game like this would get him going, but yeah, that didn't happen. So concerning there, but for the Browns, I feel like you, a team like the Texans who is deep in, um, they're out. They're not going to make the playoffs. You expect more, but you don't get it. So I I really don't think that this Browns team is that great. And I feel like they're definitely going to be one of the teams that's. one of the odd ones out in the tough AFC um, um, playoff race right now. I
2: mm-hmm,
1: was mm-hmm. uh, so moving out from there. We had the Giants and Eagles. Giants went up
2: on this one 27-17. Giants are 3-7. and Eagles 3-5-1. and um, They're now tied first place in the uh, NFC East, which is pretty embarrassing. A team at three, 3-7 three and seven is technically in the lead in the division. Kind of scary. The NFC East, as we know, is an awful, awful division. Um, you know, I don't think the Giants played a great game here. They played with a little bit of heart, and they came out with a win. Um, You know, Daniel Jones, 244 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions, 110.4 QBR. Wayne Gallman, who's shown a lot of grit, I think, so far, you know, coming from a Giants fan. Um, Hasn't been the best since we drafted him out of Clemson, but uh, he's, I think he's really stepped up to share with the Saquon going out. Uh Wayne Gallman, 53 yards, two touchdowns, was able to punch it in twice. He also had a rushing touchdown from Daniel Jones. Um... Receiving wise, nothing special. Darius Slayton, ninety three yards. Um, and then we're looking at the Eagles side of things. We had Carson Wentz, two hundred and eight yards, seventy seven point two QBR. Uh Miles Sanders, eighty five yards in the ground. You had Boston Scott with sixty three yards and a touchdown. Um, you know, I, I just I just think that, you know, Travis Holgum, eight yards, he's kind of fell off in the past couple of weeks. I just think this Eagles team is so inconsistent. They're kinda of, were built to win over the past couple of years, and I just think they have too much veteran. Veteran presence in terms of, you know, the veteran presence is good, but it's not enough young talent to really push his team forward. A, B, I don't think the coaching is the greatest. Uh, Doug Peterson is, I think, is moving himself towards being on the hot seat. You know, I still don't think they have. Again, I don't think they have the most talent, but I don't think that Doug Peterson is getting the most out of Carson Wentz right now. You know, obviously he did win a Super Bowl, so you can't knock him there. It just becomes a question if this continues—is it the talent or is it the coaching? Uh, pretty ugly
1: game for the eagles here i think also one of the questions you need to just br- be brought up for the eagles is um who who's their strength and conditioning coaches who's training these guys in the offseason like yeah the, there's a covid covid stuff this year but th- these guys get injured every year like their entire just about their entire offensive line is not playing and you got all kinds of guys all over the roster down with injury and something needs to be looked at there like these guys clearly have not been trained well enough in the offseason because they just keep getting hurt. And it's honestly really not that surprising that the Giants won this game. because I Like I do like I said last week, the Giants are a quietly talented team, especially on on defense. They got a little bit of everything everywhere. It's not the best unit, but it gets it done, especially in the NFC East. I mean, they, they could realistically come out of that division and have a home playoff game in January. Uh, it would be absolutely incredible. I agree with you. As I've been saying since the beginning, I think the Giants have a good set of guys. They have a
2: lot of death players. I don't think they have that star talent that they really need to become anywhere of a playoff contender team. But with how bad the NFC East is this year, uh, they definitely could come out of the division. Um, so moving on from there, we had the Packers and the Jaguars. Packers went 24-20. to uh, Packers went to 7-2. and Jaguars went to 1-8. and not much to talk about here, other than the Packers were a little bit messy here. Obviously, they got to do better. And Rodgers two touchdowns, one interception, three hundred twenty-five yards, one hundred nineteen QBR. Um, Scantling went off. You know, the, I think Packers fans have been waiting on Scantling to do well for for a while now. He finally has a good game. 149 yards, uh, receiving, one hundred forty-nine yards receiving, one-yard touchdown. Um, you know, pretty big game for him there. I'm happy to see MVS do good. It's been too long for him. Uh, Jake Luton or Lutton, still don't know him. Temporary. Obviously, quarterback 169 yards, one touchdown, one interception, 65.7 QBR. Um, obviously, not good there. Uh, Will Gardner eventually return? And if he does, they're going to keep him. Jaguars now being one and eight. If the Jets can somehow pick up a game and the Jaguars could get that first overall pick, it, it seems like a no brainer to me that they're going to go with the quarterback at this point. Um, so, obviously, whoever gets the first overall pick is going to go with Trevor Lawrence. And then it becomes an option of Trey Lance or James uh, or Justin Fields rather. Um, it's just it's you know only a matter of time before they go that route. I think uh, James Robinson with 109 rushing yards, very good game from him. You know James Robinson has been a very good running back this year. You know one of the upper tier running backs in the league, very quietly, um, one of the shining stars out of this dirt pile that is the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, you know, pretty pretty rough game I think for the Packers because I think if you're going into a team. Going against a team like the Jacksonville Jaguars, you're going to win by want to win by a little bit more and perform a little bit better. Um, but I, you know, wins a win, and the Packers are seven and two. They've been a very good team
1: so far. Um, you know, you can't knock them. I think they're definitely one of the contenders. Yeah, I just I mean, honestly, this might sound. I promise it's not in hindsight. I came into this game and I honestly thought there was a good chance this could be a trap game. I feel like there are a lot of games over the years where Aaron Rodgers and the Packers, their favorite. They're favored to beat another opponent by a lot at Lambeau, and they don't play that well. I, I kind of saw that coming this game, and sure enough, it did. So, I mean, I really don't think this is gonna, this is that bad for the Packers moving forward. I feel like they just had one of those games, that just, like I said, a trap game, but they'll be they'll be fine. Clearly, there's no question they're the better team against the Jaguars, like, who, like I we kept saying so many times over the past few weeks, they're definitely going to have to take a quarterback in the draft, probably not Trevor Lawrence, but... Assuming the Jets finish in last place, but yeah, you said Trey Lange, Justin Fields, and throw Zach Wilson into that mix right there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, totally
2: agree. So next game we had the Lions and w- the football team in Washington. Lions win at thirty to twenty-seven. Pretty ugly game here. Lions are four and five. Washington two and seven. Um, obviously, Washington not out of the playoff race yet with how bad the NFC East is, but uh, this team is looking pretty bad. Alex Smith, not a terrible day, right? Had 390 yards passing, no touchdowns, no interceptions, 96 QBR. Um, Terry, uh, Terry McLaurin, 95 yards, typical game out of him. Again, really one of those shining stars on a bad team. Um, and on the Lions side of things, yeah, Matt Stafford, three touchdowns, no interceptions. A pretty solid game out of Matt Stafford. DeAndre Swift had an excellent game. Uh, I think he's really the highlight of this game, in my opinion. He had 81 yards rushing, uh, but receiving-wise, he had 68 yards and one touchdown. Um, You know, really contributed heavily to the offense this week. Uh, TJ Hawkinson, again, who is my fantasy tight end, did not have a good day. Uh, 13 yards, unfortunately. That's where he capped off. Um, Again, this game was really gritty. Um, You know, Washington almost came back and won it in the fourth quarter. Um, Lions hold on. Again, Lions are one of those middle-of-the-road teams that were just not enough consistency out of them. You know, beating Washington is cool and all, but uh, being a 4-5 and and only – Beating a team that's as bad as the bad of a place that Washington is in right now, you're not going to get anywhere uh, sitting like that. Um, so I, I really don't know what the answer is there. And obviously Washington is still in that rebuilding phase, uh, but not a tire, not as bad as a game as we saw out of Alex Smith last week.
1: Uh, Max, yeah, you know for the I want to focus on the Lions here, more than anything. So they are up twenty four to three on Washington in the third quarter, which makes sense, I guess, because they are, I, I feel like they are the more talented team, better quarterback, and but they let them back into the game. They, the, um, Washington tied it up, Detroit would go ahead with another field goal, then be tied up again, then, of course, Matt Prater kicked the game order for the Lions. It's just one of those games where I feel like the Lions are going to look at where it's like, hey, we won, it's all good, blah, blah, But you just let one of the worst teams in the league almost come back on you. you you almost choked again. You did it in week one against the Bears who have a terrible offense and now you almost, you you nearly lost. You had to kick a game-winning field goal to beat Washington when you were up 24-3 to in the third quarter. I mean, that's just not acceptable. And how many more indicators do we need, like I say every week just about, how many more indicators do we need to show that the Lions are not in, going in the right direction? Like, how do you almost lose to Washington after being up 24-3? to mm-hmm. I
2: totally agree with you. I, I, I think... Patricia's got to go. It's only a matter of time, hopefully, before the Lions do decide to do that. But we'll have to see. Uh, Next game we had was the Panthers and the Buccaneers. Uh, Buccaneers won this one 46-23 in a pretty convincing fashion. It's starting off pretty slow. Um, After an abysmal loss last week to the Saints, the Buccaneers had a bounce back here. Uh, And they did. It started off slow at first, but uh, in the end, they really dominated throughout the the entire second half of the game. Um, Teddy Bridgewater wound up getting injured. Um, his status I think is still unknown. Uh, 136 yards, two touchdowns, one interception for him. You had PJ Walker come step back in. Um, CMC was out again, and he's expected to be out this upcoming Sunday as well uh, with his, with his shoulder injury, which is, is tough again. Uh, CMC has an ankle injury. Was it, Was it an, I believe it was an ankle injury, correct? Uh, uh, early in the area. I, yeah. I, I well, it's early in the year, Yeah, that was an ankle. Yeah, yeah. now he's but now, his shoulder. Yeah, now he's with the shoulder injury. Um, He just could not catch a break, unfortunately, for him. And then on the Buccaneers' side of things, Tom Brady, three touchdowns, 341 yards, 133.6 QBR. Uh, The typical Tom Brady that we have known to love over the years. Um, And then Ronald Jones actually exploded on the ground for 192 yards and a touchdown. Incredible game out of him. Stung for me because I picked up Leonard Fournette, but uh, Ronald Jones, again, incredible game there. Antonio Brown finally having somewhat of an impact, uh, 69 yards, no touchdowns. Um, good to see Antonio Brown, I guess, get accumulated into the offense. Um, with that being said, on the basis of that, whatever charges and allegations are against him are untrue, and it's a good thing to see him <laughs> do well on the offense. Uh, and then Mike Evans, 77 yards, one touchdown. Nice, uh, I think it was a three-yard reception for a touchdown. Uh, so pretty solid game offensively uh, for the Bucs. Uh, defensively, they could do a little bit better, but again, offense really boomed,
1: especially in that second half of the game. And yeah, really good job by the Bucks in this game, particularly getting um, everybody involved on offense. You had Gronk who had a touchdown. Mm-hmm. The receiver um, Chris Godwin had a decent game. Of course, you said um, Mike Evans, Antonio Brown, and then Ronald Jones who had that 98, 98 yard touchdown mm-hmm. run. And he had a, a bunch more yards on the day, so I mean that—that's really what you need to see from an offense where everybody can get involved, and it showed on the scoreboard. that They had forty-six points. You know, for the Panthers, I really don't. Despite the lopsided score, there's really nothing for, for them to get upset about in this game. I felt like this is one of those where they really tried to hang um, hang around as much as possible. Again, they again like like I said, they look good. The just not everything is there yet. It'll take time, but you know it just. One of those games, they're well coached and they do what they can to stay in the games, but it's they just are the worst team here, and there's nothing they can do about it. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. Moving uh, on from there, we had the Raiders and the Broncos. Uh, Raiders take this one, thirty-seven
2: to twelve, in a pretty convincing fashion. Raiders from the six and three Broncos are now three and six. You know, I, I love this game out of the Raiders. I think it's a big statement game for them, in my opinion, by the by the amount that they won. I think also in the fashion that they won, uh, they really were able to move the ball on the ground between Deion. Uh, Devontae Booker and Josh Jacobs. You had two touchdowns from each of them. Uh, Josh Jacobs, 112 yards rushing, 81 yards rushing from Devontae Booker. Um, I think teams that that can run the ball as well as they did in this game are teams that are able to compete for a championship. Uh, We saw it last year with the Titans. When you can can run the ball and the other team can't stop you, it opens up a lot of avenues uh, offensively. Uh, Given the Broncos are not the best team and they are injury-riddled, but I think, again, this does open a lot of avenues for them. If they can continue to play like this, they're not going to be that mediocre team that we've been talking about. They will be contenders. Um, Drew Locke had a pretty abysmal game. Uh, you know, I think, again, while well, as good as the offense did, I think the defense did nearly as well, if not as well. Um, you saw you saw Drew Locke throw four interceptions, one touchdown. Uh, 41.4 QBR for Drew Locke. Pretty abysmal there. Um, again, uh, just
1: a huge game for the Raiders here. I think a big saving game for them. And for the... And for the Raiders, I thought they'd win this, but I mean, it was more than I thought on it than they would. You know, they, they. I mean, it took them a while, but they were the better team as the game went on, and the Broncos just got tired. And for the Broncos now, I keep thinking, but now I'm thinking more: What do you do in the this coming draft? Because Drew Lock has shown to not be very consistent. I think he was a little banged up in this game, which could have contributed to his performance. But you know, some weeks you see, hey, this guy looks good, and other weeks you're like, eh, I don't know. You're in the second year of, um, of him being a quarterback what do you think going into the draft do you at this point they're not looking like they're in the playoffs do you do you um uh, do, do you do you tank and do you look for another quarterback in the upcoming draft try to be up with it and to get one of those guys like trey lance Justin fields Zach Wilson or or maybe even you could trade up into the first round you can trade your second round pick maybe some more to draft a guy like Kyle Trask or Mac Jones. That could be a little much right there in terms of giving up picks. But what I'm saying is, like, I mean, the Broncos have a decision to make. Do they want to trust? Now they kind of see what they have a little bit in Drew Locke. And you're, I'm not convinced that this guy right now is going to be the guy moving forward. Do you give them another year, maybe see, maybe you have more in him, or do you um, do you take another guy this year and think you don't have much? I mean, for me personally, I would stick with Drew Lock. I like what I've seen out of him on the positive side. I think he's
2: earned more time. Uh, but that being said, be, you know, if you do wind up tanking and you get one, again as one of those guys you have mentioned previously, um, it's definitely worth taking a look at. I think guys even like Kyle Trask, who have been excellent. For, he's been excellent for Florida this year. Um, you know, he's definitely there's a lot of quarterback talent in this upcoming draft, so it, it is a, definitely a possibility.
1: Yeah, no, they and uh, just some further note. Um, it's kind of unrelated to the NFL, but kind of a little bit. Kyle Trask could really slide up some draft boards. Look at the mm. um, past two weeks. He's played on fire. So look out for Kyle Trask, potentially rise up in draft rankings here um, from now until April.
2: Exactly. Exactly. why I brought him
1: up. Um, with that being said, the next game we have is the Dolphins versus the Chargers. As you had
2: mentioned here, Dolphins have been uh, extremely good down the down the stretch so far. Uh, another tight game that they won here against the Chargers, um, you know, Again, I'm going to start with the Chargers because I think there's more to talk about on the Dolphins side of things. With Justin Herbert, 187 yards, two touchdowns, one interception, 91.1 QBR. Uh, another decent game out of, out of Justin Herbert, nothing special. Um, you know, making rookie mistakes against a, a, what has become a solid team there in Miami. Um, rushing they didn't, rushing, and offensively, you know, they didn't really pick anything up. Um, but I, I, this game, in my opinion, was is really a testament to how well the Dolphins have been playing. And in my opinion, and I'm going to say this now, Tua... Uh, Tagovailoa, I think he is slowly but surely locking in, locking in himself as rookie of the year. Um, now he's now three and oh as a starter. Um, has performed extremely, extremely well since stepping in. One hundred sixty nine yards, two touchdowns, one hundred thirteen point two QBR. You know he hasn't been amazing in any way in terms of spectacular, um, in, in terms of making any specific play, but I think his consistency and his ability to to not make mistakes has really shown. Um, especially with him hopping in so late, you know, coming off the injury um, and with COVID, his ability to play this well is really astonishing. And I think it's, it's really a testament how talented Tua is. Um, I cannot talk highly enough about him. I, I do think he's, he's really locking himself in to be rookie of the year, uh, especially if he continues to play like this. Um, and it's, it's, you had Salvin um, Ahmed, who had stepped in this week. Um, the Dolphins just had released Jordan Howard. Um, and I, why am I blanking on their starting running back? Um, uh, Miles, Ga- Miles Gaskin, Miles Gaskin. He was out this week, um. So Ahmed picks it up with 85 yards and one touchdown. Pretty solid game out of him. Um, other than that, much to talk about here. Again, uh, Tua just playing exceptionally well, in
1: my opinion. Yeah, yeah. This Dolphins seems looking really, really good right now. You know, they com- coming into this game is exciting. You know, they going up against another team with a young quarterback who's been competitive. So I, I could, I could have seen this game be competitive, but no, the Dolphins really. We're in control of this the whole time and just keep proving how really great of a team they are becoming. You know, I agree with you. I think Tua's really locking himself in there as a starter. I think he's going to be for a long time. He looks so good early on, and that defense is becoming one of the best in the NFL. So, I mean, this you have a team that could really become a juggernaut come January if they keep winning and getting hot at the right time. And also, Brian Flores, I feel like, if this continues, I feel like he is going to win Coach of the Year, no doubt. I totally agree with you, and I just think again, this Dolphins
2: team is continuing to do well. They're, there's so much young talent, and they're going to continue to grow as they get more draft picks, as they acquire more talent, as they grow together. Really scary team here in Miami. I think
1: moving forward, um, and that means okay, also yeah. they have they have the Texans' first round draft pick in 2021, which looks like a top 10 pick right now. Also true, and they acquired that through Laramie Tunsil, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. So, a, a lot of promise there down
2: in Miami. If you're a Miami Dolphins fan, you've got to be really excited. Uh, next game we had was, I think, probably the best game of the week, in my opinion, with the Cardinals and the Bills. A uh, really spectacular game, you know, absolute fight down to the very bitter end. Um, you know, I, I think the up, you know, early on, the Bills really dominated this game defensively. Uh, the Cardinals could not get anything going offensively. And it was just a testament how good that Bills defense is. Uh, Josh Allen was really solid, I think, through the beginning. And then the Cardinals kind of turned it around, um, you know, roughly halfway through the game. Um, especially in that third quarter, they really boomed. Um, I, you know, especially with the Bills side, because I think there's more to talk about on the Cardinals side. Again, Josh Allen, two touchdowns, two interceptions, 81.9 QBR, 284 yards uh, passing. Josh Allen was also their leader, leading rusher with 38 yards. I think their Cardinals defense did excellent, you know, statistically and, and watching the game. Again, that Bills defense is really the story here for the Bills. Uh, they, they, you know, when Josh Allen is leading rusher with 38 yards, you have a problem rushing the ball there. Um, Cole Beasley and Stephon Diggs both had phenomenal games. Don't get me wrong, 109 yards, uh, one touchdown for Beasley, and then you have Stephon Diggs you had 93 yards and a touchdown. Uh, really good game for them, and I think, again, that was a product of the Bills' offense being so good early on. But I think the Bill, uh, the Cardinals just took it over late game. The the game here is Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins. Starting with Kyler Murray, um, you know, watching him yesterday, I really sh- was able to see how talented he really is and how good he's going to become if this team plays right. I saw multiple, multiple drives where you saw Bills' rushers getting through almost instantly, where you're getting three to four Bills' rushers on Kyler Murray within two seconds. And Colin Murray's ability to evade the sacks, uh, get outside the pocket and make plays is just incredible. Um, I think he's the best at it in the league. You know, him, I think it's really the only competition to him is Russell Wilson. And honestly, I think Kyler Murray might be better at it. He's up there. Uh, Russell Wilson is probably a better, pa- Is def- I would say definitely a better pocket passer, but I built, you know, outside the pocket play, I think Colin Murray's a little bit more athletic than Russell Wilson is. Um, and I think he, he's got such a talented arm. Kyler uh, Murray's mechanics are really impeccable. Um, and the, the, You know, I think story of the game. I think story of the week here. Uh, Final play of the game. You know, you you get Kyler Murray rushing out outside the pocket, evading multiple defenders, chucks it up on the sideline. About fifty, he was at the fifty-five yard line. um, You know, fifty-five yards out from the end zone. Uh, Chucks it up deep to DeAndre Hopkins. DeAndre Hopkins triple covered, comes down with it. Uh, One of the best catches that I've ever seen, in my opinion. Top five catch, um, in my opinion, is what I've ever seen. Up there with the Odell catches from back in 2014. Uh, very incredible. You know, the Bills defenders were in position. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins just had steady hands, was ready for the ball, and made the catch. 127 yards in the day and one touchdown, uh, with that being his only touchdown in the day. But incredible game, incredible play by DeAndre Hopkins there. And I think Kyler Murray, in my opinion, even though he finished with a touchdown interception, um, that, that touchdown interception, 245 yards, 96.4 QBR, I think those statistics are really misleading. When you really watch this game, the, abilities, the ability that Kyler Murray had to keep the Cardinals in this game um, was really the story there. And again, I think the statistics are really
1: misleading. Yeah, just looking at this Cardinals team, I've been saying it for a few weeks now. I don't know if i said it here, but they look really legit at this point. You know, Kyler Murray, honestly, people don't talk about it enough and they might start to have Jesse He really, honestly, he kind of has that clutch factor about him. He has that it factor when it, when it matters. You know, looking at him beating the 49ers – Healthy 49ers in week one on the road, um, beating the Seahawks in a couple weeks, I believe it was three weeks ago it was, when they were down late, and now this game, throwing the Hail Mary, which people don't say, but it was a really, really good throw by him. Kyler Murray really has, I feel like he's going to be a great quarterback, honestly. I feel like, if he can be, I feel like he's been underrated by the media, because a lot of people talk about his talent, but I feel like he has more of that, the intangibles, then people realize. Like I, I think this guy really has what it takes to be a franchise quarterback. So, so hats off to him for his performance, and abilities um, are incredible. And But but don't forget the Bills either. You People are not going to talk about it because obviously the Hail Mary overshadowed everything, but the Bills look like they've won this game with about 30 seconds left. Josh Allen led a game-winning drive, it ended with 30 seconds left, with a touchdown pass to Fon Biggs. And so I mean, both te- both offenses in particular really deserve credit. You know, I think both teams are really legit. Both quarterbacks look to be the real deal. So, this was so incredible game. It sucks that one team had to lose, but just an absolute thriller, thriller of a matchup. I totally agree with you there. Like the the fact that one team had to
2: lose really stunk. Because again, both teams are I think really good teams. Really competitive game. Again, my favorite game of the week here. Um if you're a Bills fan or a Cardinals fan, you can't be mad at, at the result here. Obviously if a Cardinals fan, you're happy you won. But if you're a Bills fan, you can't be mad here. You're still seven and three. Uh, Cardinals six and three. But if you're you know seven and three, lose a tough game to the Cardinals on, on a really amazing play. You cannot be too mad about that. Um moving on from there, we had the Saints and the Forty ers Saints win it twenty-seven to thirteen. Saints win to seven and two, 49ers win to four and six. Honestly, I don't think there's much to talk about here. You have a beat up 49ers team against a more talented Saints team, who has performed very well over the past couple of weeks. Have been coming really consistent. Um, the only concern coming out of this game, um, I don't think anybody anybody besides maybe Alvin Kamara performed extreme, extremely well in this game. With 83 yards and one touchdown receiving, and then 15 yards rushing. Um, really interesting to see how Alvin Kamara is primarily a running back, but the way that they use him, he, he's usually their leading receiver every week. Um, pretty interesting to see you know him leading the receiving column instead of the rushing column. Um, really a testament to Sean Payne and his ability to get the utilization out of Alan Kamar, I think Alan Kamar the best utilization possible out of him. Um, one, it, one thing to note, I think, is that Michael Thomas, 27 yards, really has not integrated himself into the offense this year, uh, whether it be injury, whether it be the one-game suspension that he received. Um, you, know, what, what, you know He's out one game. I forget how the exact suspension worked. I forget, I think he was suspended by the team. For, for misconduct, right? Is that what it was? He, he was, but then he was out yeah. for
1: several weeks later, so who knows what really
2: yeah, happened. Yeah. It's really tough to say, but he just has not mixed well so far into the season. I'm so, somewhat concerned, you know, really talented receiver. Um, but the Saints not getting the most out of him. Is he a potential trade target if he's not mixing well with the team? Um, you know, how incredible Michael Thomas was over the past, I think, two years. To see him not perform well at all is, is somewhat concerning for me. Um, but I think even more concerning and I think we all need to set up prayers right now is to Drew Brees um got injured last night and apparently it came out this morning that he has rib possible rib fractures, but more importantly, um it, it just came out I think about an hour before we started recording. Uh Drew Brees has a collapsed lung. Um so he's in a pretty critical state right now. Um hopefully, you know, I don't I think he'll be fine down the stretch, but uh continue to hopefully he gets a speedy recovery and hopefully he... he
1: you know, comes out well out of that injury. Yeah, Drew Prees, I mean, it sucks that he gets hurt like that, but it seems like he will be fine. So just ho- hopefully that stays the case. I will say the thing about uh, Michael Thomas that you said, I personally think the Saints would be dumb to trade him. You know, you think about it. He had won the first game he did play well, okay, so people don't play their best games all the time. He's out for all this time, and maybe you can make the argument that he's a team cancer, was it really... He hasn't done that much, I think, to warrant a trade. I don't think he's that bad. And then even then last week against the Bucks, he had a decent game, and this week not so much. So if you're in the Saints, I absolutely think you cannot pull um, – well, you, you can't now because the trade, the trade deadline's passed, but I don't, I don't think they should trade Michael Thomas yet. I think he's just too valuable. I feel like he's honestly one of those borderline untradeable players because either he's too good to get rid of or – he gets to the point where he's lost his value because his contract is just terrible. So I, I, I feel like the Saints are going to keep him till the end of his contract. Or if it gets really bad, release him. I don't see getting that bad. Anyway, as far as this game goes, um, like I kind of agree with you, Nick. Not really a whole lot to talk about here. It's, it's I mean, the, the 49ers, too, so injured. And the Saints, they're kind of one of those teams who are against teams inferior to them. They don't really do that great but they do enough to get the win so that's kind of the story here Not there really is not much to talk about I don't think I totally great great. the only reason I bring that up about Michael Thomas is the fact that he hasn't meshed
2: well um, Drew Brees is injured and it looks like they're going to move on from him this offseason um, they're going to try to attempt to enter a rebuild and if so if Michael Thomas isn't meshing well with the team he does offer a lot of trade value right. um, so that is, that's the only reason I bring it up there obviously are no rumors or anything like that um, just a possibility of something that could happen down the line, if it continues to get worse, as you said. Um, with that being said, we have the Steelers and the Bengals next. Another one, one of those games where there's not much talk about here. Um, Steelers won at 36 to 10. Steelers are nine and zero. Bengals two six and one. Uh, Steelers have easily been the best team this year um, so far. Ben Osberg four touchdowns, zero interceptions, 117.2 QBR, 333 yards. Uh, Deontay Johnson went off. Which stinks because I was going against him in fantasy this Week 116 yards, one touchdown. Chase Claypool, 56 yards, two touchdowns, and then Juju Smith, 77 yards, one touchdown. Uh, Bengals, one of the worst teams in the NFL, so really doesn't you know not a huge surprise here. On the Bengals side of things, I guess the the two upsides is Joe Burrow, one touchdown, zero interceptions, 80.2 QBR, 213 uh, receiving yards. Ultimately it comes down to the fact that he didn't make too many mistakes against a really talented Steelers uh, team and defense. Um, and then receiving YZT Higgins, who's performed really well and meshed really well um, with Joe Burrow so far, and has got 115 yards with one touchdown, little Clemson-LSU connection, even though you consider the rivals, they've connected very well for the Bengals so far, and I think it's really promising for them going down the line, with the fact that they do have that connection, A, and then Joe Burrow did not collapse under the really
1: tough Steelers team, um, didn't make too many mistakes. Yeah, I look at this, and I think, you know, for the Steelers, even though they were 8-0 coming in, people knew how good they were, I feel like this they continue to make a statement about themselves every week. Because looking at the the Bengals, honestly, are not a terrible team. Yeah, their record isn't good, but you look at the way Joe Burrow has played, he's getting better as of late. They actually have a decent offense, and they still held them to only nine points. So, you can still, Steelers continue to impress everyone, I feel like, including myself. And it's this team, I mean, I don't know, they... I honestly don't know how, who's going to beat them. I feel like they're bound to lose the game some point in the regular season, but they just—they they continue to look amazing. More and they keep, its amazing to see how well they're doing as compared to how people thought they would be early in the season. I mean, yeah, I
2: totally agree. I just—I feel like they don't have the talent to winning as much as they do, but I think you know they do have a lot of talent on defense, and I think they're meshing so well. and The coaching is so good, and the situation is just all right. I agree with you. I think they're bound to lose a game at some point, but it's just it's a question of who. Who's going to be able to put all that together and, and come over them? I, I honestly don't know. Um, with that being said, we have the Seahawks and the Rams. Rams win this one 23-16. Rams went to 6-3. Seahawks are now 6-3. and three. Um, Seahawks have really fell apart, I think, down the stretch here. And it's unfortunate to see because they started off so hot at the beginning of the year. And the Rams, who I thought were going to be the worst teams in the league this year, have continued to prove me wrong and I'm glad for the Rams and the Rams fans. Uh Jared Goff, 302 yards. We have 105.5 QBR. Um, didn't really get much on the ground game. Um, obviously, you know, passing game, not much there. Uh this game was uh, honestly uh big uh, sorry. You did have a little bit of rushing. Uh you had two touchdowns from Malcolm Brown. I apologize. Thirty-three yards. You had Darren Henderson with twenty-eight yards at a touchdown. Um Ultimately, I think the Rams' defense is really the story. You're able to shut down the Seahawks as well as they did. Um, Russell Wilson, I think, had his worst game of the year, 248 yards, uh, two interceptions, 63.2 QB. Um, going into the playoffs in fantasy, me having Russell Wilson, it's really sad to see that he has continually performed worse over these past couple of weeks, and the defense has been pretty abysmal too. Uh, DK Metcalf was absolutely shut down by Jalen Ramsey, Um, 28 yards receiving, that is it. Tyler Lockett was their leading receiver at 66 yards. Alex Collins, who stepped in, obviously, uh, this week with Chris Carson still being out. uh, He got the majority of the carries. Uh, You you saw him with 43 yards and a touchdown. It's a solid game out of Alex Collins. I don't much to talk about. The Seahawks
1: are starting to concern me at this point. Um, Rams are proving me wrong. Max? Yeah, the Seahawks are like the Titans are kind of another one of those things that's kind of going through it right now. Kind of... Same, but different reasons. Um, You know, they've had to deal with... It wasn't a big problem yesterday, but they had to deal with a um, bad defense. One of the, historically speaking, in terms of stats, going to be one of the worst, maybe the worst defense of all time if this stuff keeps up. And then uh, Russell Wilson, it just seems like the past few weeks, he's not been himself. He's throwing a lot of critical interceptions. Uh, It started back in that um, um, Cardinals game where they they collapse near the end. And, you know, against the Rams, who is sneakily, but some people may not realize, but they do have one of the top three ranked defenses in the NFL, and it makes sense. You know, with guys like Aaron Donald, um, Leonard Floyd, who I don't know why the Bears released, uh, Michael Brockers is another good um, D lineman, and Jalen Ramsey on the outside. I mean, they have pieces, but I feel like what's really bringing this team together is their head coach, Sean McVay. You know, he, he got a reputation for being one of the hotter coaches in the league. He came out a couple years ago when the Rams were not going to be anything and they did well. They won their division. Um, He's been doing well ever since. A bit of a scare last year, but he's doing he's been doing well this year with a team that was supposed to really fall apart. And I feel like he should be in that coach of the year discussion because I feel like that's he's the main reason why this team is really together at this point. Mm -hmm. I agree. Hardly. With the final game that we had that was actually played
2: so far, we had the Ravens and the Patriots game. Pagers would come back here and they went twenty-three to seventeen. Good comeback win for them. Um comeback meaning they've lost over the past couple weeks. Pagers moved to four and five, Ravens moved to six and three. Um I'll start with the Ravens. They've continued to struggle down the stretch. They don't seem to be the same team that they were last year. Um, I can't really tell you what it is. I think that they've had bad locker room juju since Earl Thomas uh was, was released by the team. Um and since then, it's just, I don't think it's been the same. Klaus Campbell's been out. Um, so it, it really comes down to the fact that I just honestly don't know what the issue is with the Ravens other than those couple type of, types of things. Uh, Lamar Jackson really hasn't looked the same as he did last year. 249 yards touchdowns, one interception, and 106 QBR, 55 yards on the ground also for Lamar Jackson. He's kind of their only offensive player at this point that really can make an impact. Um, you know, Rushing-wise, they couldn't really get anything going yet. Gus Edwards for 42 yards. Dobbins with 13 yards and Markingham with five yards. Um, I really can't tell you what it is. On the Patriots' side of things, I, I can say that I don't think I've ever had a team that's perplexed me as much as this Patriots team. I really can't pinpoint whether they're an incredible team or whether they're awful. I think it just comes down to the fact that they have zero talent, but they have all the coaching in the world. You got know, Cam Newton with 818 yards, one touchdown, and then you had Jacoby Myers, who was an undrafted uh, free agent with the who converted from a quarterback to a wide receiver in college, he's playing wide receiver in the NFL, and it seems that Bill Belichick is really getting the most out of him. Uh, they ran a little flea flicker to him down the down the right sideline, I believe, to Rex Burkhead for a nice pickup of a uh, 24 uh, yard touchdown. A nice play for Jacoby Myers passing. Um, Damian Harris, who's been absolutely incredible, I think, for the Patriots um, with Sony Michelle and, and the. I think they have a really good running back group between Sonny Michelle, Rex Burkhead, James White, um, and now Damian Harris, who was, I think, the third string running back, second string running back for Alabama, uh, is playing very well for the Patriots. It's a good thing to see there. Uh, I honestly can't tell you what's up with this Patriots game. I can't tell if they're a bad team or a good team. I just think it's the coaching that's really driving this team. Because look at their defense as well. Um, I think the only, you know, you have some solid guys like Kyle Durgers knew was a second division talent in this year's draft. Devin McCourty's solid, but getting old. Uh, J.C. Jackson, I think, isn't talked about enough. This guy has been absolutely incredible. Um, I think he's been silently probably top three corner over the past two, three years in the NFL. He's been so consistent for the Patriots. Uh, It's been really incredible to see him do as well as he can. Players like Josh Uche, uh, uh, Winovich, you know, you have a lot of decent players, nothing spectacular talent, uh, but they're really putting it together in this game.
1: I honestly don't know what to say about the Patriots. They, they are confusing me as a team. Uh, Max? If I had want to offer one potential explanation on why the Patriots are the way they are, I would say it's because of the quarterback spot. Um, Cam Newton, obviously not the same quarterback as he was in the past, but I feel like he, for past few years, when he was at his prime especially, maybe not 15 in one year, but other years, what really concerned people about him was his inconsistency. He'd go through some weeks that were really, really good. Mm. Unless he'd really go through it, it wouldn't be that good. And I feel like kind of seeing the same thing on the Pats, where not having that quarterback like that consistency kind of um, messes them up a little bit. And of course, the Patriots don't have much talent on the on uh, anywhere on the field, but I feel like having that that inconsistent factor at the quarterback spot, I feel like for a team that's as um, under talented as they are, it really can make them go through it. And I feel like we've been seeing in the past. Um, in the past few weeks, Cam starting the season pretty well, cooling off, and the team looks terrible. But then, like last week, he had a good game, and then this week he had a good game too. So that, that could probably be it for for them. Of course, there's probably a lot of things, but I feel like that's potential explanation for why the Pats are so erratic. But you know, their coaching, Bill Belichick, always will give them a chance to win those these games, and he did last night. And for a team that really shouldn't beat the Ravens, who honestly. Like, I, I agree. They look not as good as they used to be, nowhere near it. You know? And of course, you can use the rain as an excuse, fine. But one of the things that scares me is that their their team is known for being able to run on the ground, whether that be designed runs by Lamar Jackson or handing it off to Mark Ingram. And now they have J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards in the mix, Gus Edwards in particular, who's one of the short yardage um, guys they use. And then he, and it doesn't. They don't they don't get much on the ground, so that's a little concerning too. You know, maybe you can make the excuse of the rain this week, fine, but you know next week, well, I feel like if they lose next week, it it really looks bad for them. I totally agree, and I think, as you said, in terms of the explanation for the Patriots, since Cam Newtons
2: came into the league in twenty eleven, it's been this problem. I think every single year, this is inconsistency. He has games where he's absolutely spectacular. You know, he's this huge quarterback in terms of size, right, six five. Uh, has an incredible arm um, in terms of his, you know, throwing power. Really had all the all the tangibles that you wanted coming out of of you know college, and she's shown it in some games and some games hasn't. And I think it's it's really hurt the Patriots as you said with how uh, with the amount of lack of talent that they have. On um, the Ravens side, uh, they really have not put it together as we said. Uh, so finally, finishing it off, we have the game that hasn't been played yet. We have tonight's game that's going to start at eight fifteen. It's now four twenty six on Monday. they have the Vikings and the Bears. Um, you know, I'm going to pick the Vikings, even though they're three and five over the five and four Bears here. I think they've played really well over the past couple weeks. I, th- I do think they're
1: the better team. Um, I'm going to pick the Vikings probably by roughly a touchdown here. I agree with you. You have, t- you have two teams with you know Bears have a winning record, the Vikings have a losing record, but. Both opposite directions. The Vikings looking a lot better as of late. Bears looking like frauds, as we've been talking about. That team did not deserve to go 3-0. and So, yeah, I'm going to pick the Vikings in addition. Momentum, and they're the better team. Looking back, I probably should have picked them by more points, but I'm going to say um, there's going to be a four-point difference, 20-16. to 16. That's what I had in all my predictions this week, so I'm not going to change it at this point. Got it. Um, with that being
2: said, that pretty much concludes our NFL section for the week. Um... I don't think we have anything for the MLB this week. So I'm going to head into the NBA. Um, I did promise you guys a mock draft last week. I unfortunately forgot to do that, but I will go through a mock draft that was, I found on, uh, uh, CBS sports and the mock draft is by, we'll get to that in a minute. I'm just want to get my credit. credit zoo by Gary Parish, um, posted about an hour ago. I'm going to go through some of the mock, the mock draft that he has and talk a little about the talent. on um, but first, uh, we do have a little bit of other NBA news. We have Rockets news. We have some trade news. Um, starting off with the trade news, uh, you know, the trades are starting to roll in this week. The first trade that we had, um, I, I don't think the the typical end of it, the trade has been announced yet. Um, but the Lakers did acquire Dennis Schroeder. Um, oh, sorry, it was in exchange for Danny Green, who... We saw was struggled mightily in that in that finals game. Um, Didn't seem like LeBron was too happy with him, and we know how much influence LeBron James has. Uh, You know, he gave he trusted him with the ball for that game-winning shot. Can't remember the exact game what it was, but you know when you LeBron James trusts somebody and he doesn't pull through, Um, LeBron James doesn't think he can trust him anymore. He will be traded quickly. In addition, the Lakers they really did need a a point guard that was going to be really big for them. Uh, So a, a big acquire for the Lakers there. I think Dennis Schroeder is a solid point guard. Um, you know, in the Thunder, he's, he averaged 18.9 points per game, 3.6 rebounds, and then four assists per game, uh, shooting roughly 46% from the field. So he's he's been a, a solid uh, point guard for the Thunder over the past couple of years. I think he's going to be a nice addition for the Lakers. On the other trade, which happened today, sort of a blockbuster trade, not really because Chris Paul is aging. Uh, the Phoenix Suns did acquire Chris Paul and Abdul Nader. I sorry, apologize, I've never heard of him before um, from the Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, in exchange for Ricky Rubio, Kelly Oubre, Ty Jerome, Jalen LeCue, and a 2022 first-round pick, um, I think this is a huge win for the uh, Suns here. I think Suns absolutely win this trade in a heartbeat. I'm um, sorry, rather the Oklahoma City Thunder win this trade in a heartbeat. I apologize. Um, Chris Paul obviously aging, and I think I think it's it's not a terrible trade for the the Suns here because the Suns do really need to put themselves in position to win games. You have Devin Booker you have DeAndre Ayton, you have Mikhail Bridges who's an excellent 3 and D guy. Um and now you have an excellent point guard in my opinion, Chris Paul to really help that mesh. Um you know, I think it's a decent straight for the Suns. I just think that the Oklahoma City Thunder are really putting themselves in position to do extremely well down the line. Um you know, Ricky Rubio has been a solid solid point guard over the years. You know, he's going to essentially fill the same role as Chris Paul in being a veteran point guard, veteran leadership that's not really going to be in the long-term plans. Kelly Oubre, who's been, I think, solid since he's been in, in uh, since he's been in the league since his days in Washington. Um, he's a solid bench player. Tajirone was a really raw talent out of Virginia, um, close to home here because he did grow up in the town that me and Brian uh, grew up in. So I do have a special connection to him. Um, it's kind of interesting to see that he didn't really, you know, he, he started up the year with an ankle injury. COVID hit. He really not got, really didn't get the playing time that he probably would have gotten slash wanted to. Um, and they move on from him within a year. Um, I hope he does do better in Oklahoma, of course. Uh, Jalen McHugh, uh, I think solid player right there. And then the 2022 first-round draft pick is huge. The amount of picks that the, the Thunder have really accumulated is absolutely incredible. It's insane. Um, they're going to have such a, you know, I think at some point they're going to be able to essentially wipe the ros- roster clean of any expensive contracts and have nothing but first-round draft picks to really fill out the roster. It's going to be incredible. Um, you know, now that i covered... Uh, both those trades in terms of Dennis Schroeder and Chris Paul. Those are the only two trades so far. Um, Brian, do you have any comments on those trades?
0: Um, Not really, no. I like what what the Thunder are doing by getting all those draft picks because I think that's what a lot of teams just have to do, and it's just the smartest move for them to
2: make Again, I think they're going to be in such a good position when they decide to rebuild. Uh, It's going to be pretty incredible to see what they do with all those draft picks. Right. Um, and then other news, we had we have are having a current Rockets meltdown, which is unfortunate with me being a Rockets fan. Um, early this week, it came out that Russell Westbrook had requested a trade. Uh, mixed rumors. Russell Westbrook had commented on Instagram that those those rumors are false. Um, we did also hear at that time. Um, this again this is about four or five days ago. Uh, we also did hear that uh, James Harden is still locked into the Rockets, um, and with Russell Wilson, uh, Russell Westbrook rather. Uh, you know, declining those rumors, saying they're not true. It seemed like the Rockets were in a decent position because at the same time that uh, Russell Westbrook came out, there was trade rumors with, uh, there was rumors that Austin Rivers was unhappy, PJ Tucker was unhappy, um, you know, the entire team's collapsing. It kind of died down, it seems like, you know, PJ Tucker had posted on Instagram a, a big, uh, the blue hat emoji, which essentially means cat, which means, you know, it's lying. Um, they were lying that the rumors aren't true. But then today, uh, another secondary meltdown, which is probably worse than the first one, because I think, I don't think the Rockets necessarily need Russell Westbrook. I love Russell Westbrook. I just don't think he fits perfectly into our system. You know, why, if we can get trade value for him, I think it's equivalent to what he's worth in terms of, you know, a potential trade was the Knicks. That's what came up, right? Knicks were to trade us RJ Barrett, who I think is a a rising talent in the NBA. We really don't know where he's going to land, plus maybe the eighth overall pick. You know, I think it's enough talent in exchange for the Rockets. I don't think it's a great trade for the Knicks, but I do. You know, I think they need to focus on building young talent, not picking up some an older player like Russell Westbrook, who honestly will lead the, in my opinion, the Knicks to a playoff spot. Um, but do, do you really want a 32 year old declining point guard when you're in a rebuild? For as rebuild as long as um, the Knicks have been, you know, not to top on top of that, you have that huge contract that Russell Westbrook has. It just doesn't make a lot of sense to me for the Knicks to acquire him, but if if the you know if the Rockets did let's say make that trade with Russell Westbrook, it opens up a lot of avenues. You have the eighth overall pick. You have RJ, who's a really solid starter for us. Um, you could sign another superstar talent with that amount of contract space that you have left. Uh, it could open up a lot of avenues. Um, but unfortunately, that those well, those do died down today. It came out uh, reported by the Houston Chronicles Well, I'm not 100 um believing in at this point. It's really tough to say what's going to happen. Um, you know, Russ, James Harden has been on the trade rumor block for a while now because he hasn't won a championship. And it just seems like every offseason there's always rumors of Harden requesting a trade because he hasn't won a chip with the Rockets. I'm not 100% believing it, but I definitely think it is possible. The trade rumor is that Harden wants out um, and that he wants to go to the, the, the Nets. It's like a done deal. He won't accept anything else. I do have a lot of problems with this. Uh, a, obviously, me being a Rockets fan, I don't want to see James Harden go. Uh, B, I think on the net side of things, how is this going to work out? If James Harden is unhappy sharing the ball with Russell Westbrook, who's a dominant dominant uh, ball, handle, ball handler, then how is he going to work with Kyrie Irving, who, in my opinion, best with the ball in his hands, right playmaker, dribbler, and then Kevin Durant, who needs the ball in his hands because he's a scorer. You know. I wasn't happy with the situation with the Rockets. This is going to be happen. I'd say even worse situation in terms of him getting the ball with the Nets. I honestly, don't know how the fit works. And I think additional to that, have the contract situation. How is that contract going to fit into the Nets' that space? Because you're going to have to clear nearly your entire bench for that. I'm not exactly what the Nets' contracts uh, salary cap situation is, but that would be three max contracts on one team, which is really tough. You'd have to see something like the Warriors, where somebody takes a pay cut. Um, and I think you know, I think, I think both Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, they've done it in the past where you had Kyrie Irving willing to share the ball in Cleveland with LeBron, obviously, huh? right? You had in uh, Golden State, but then again, both of those players left those teams because they were unhappy with their situation to join the Nets. So I honestly don't understand the fit. I don't understand what's going to be involved in this trade. I do expect if there is a trade to the Nets, the Nets are going to have to include a lot of first-round picks and people like Harris Levert pretty much clear out their entire bench. Um, would be really interesting. I, I really hope it doesn't happen. You know, me as a Rockets fan of being from New York, I wouldn't be totally upset if, if James Harden is going to be traded. I do hope it is to, to a New York team because I'd honestly probably become a fan of that team. Um, I, really, it's really an interesting situation there. Uh, Brian, what do you have to say about anything?
0: Um. I did want to talk about the Knicks and Russell Westbrook situation, then I'll get to Mm -hmm. James Harden. So for a lot of Knicks fans out there, and I've experienced this before, like when you're trading for some all-star who's actually very good, um, you get excited and want that player to be on your team, and you think about the playoffs that the Knicks just seem to always not be in and how it would be so exciting to have a player like Russell Westbrook on your team, but you also have to realize that The Knicks have traded for players like Russell Westbrook and haven't got that far either. And that's why they're in the position that they're in. I mean, there's so many that come to mind. I mean, you could even go to Carmelo Anthony, who obviously probably out of any trades that the Knicks have made have had the most success, but there hasn't been a championship in New York for a long time. And part of that reason is because they don't try and do actual rebuilds. They try and... uh, band-aid teams together with like one all-star and just terrible players around him and trading away your young talent like rj barrett trading away that eighth overall pick just doesn't make sense and yes i get i thinking about russell Westbrook on the knicks is an exciting thing but you have to also realize what they're giving up and that's like (laughs) i mean they had uh was it called a rebuild going when they trade before they trade Kristaps Porzingis and now they have another rebuild going that's on the very low blocks of a rebuild, but they have to they have to start somewhere and trading away their young pieces will just get them even lower on, um, the rebuilding stages. So I don't think that makes sense to trade for Russell Westbrook, um, unless they don't give up R.J. Barrett or that eighth overall pick, but I don't think that's gonna happen, um. Next thing I want to talk about was the James Harden thing. Obviously, if he went to the Nets, um, that would be very annoying for me as a Knicks fan because uh, the Nets. I mean, they would get better to some degree, but also, like Nick was saying, I mean, James Harden on the Nets doesn't really make sense. Kyrie Irving, obviously, we talked about so much, is a player that wants the balls in his hand, wants the ball in his hands, and when you look at that team between Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, James Harden, who's Who's, like, at the top of the totem pole? I don't really know, and that creates a lot of conflict. I would say it's probably Kevin Durant and then James Harden. But Mm -hmm. you have so many um, personalities on that team that want to be that go-to player that it's not going to work out. Um, You want to have hope that the Nets could figure it out, but I really don't see them figuring it out. Having a situation like the Warriors have had, it's a very... uh, What's it called? Not easy situation to be in, and you have to be lucky to have the type of types of personalities that gel together, and I don't think those personalities would gel together on the Nets.
2: I totally agree with you. When you think about it, right, the whole, the whole thing with Kyrie Irving is he wanted a team to himself. He wanted to be in that leadership position. And I think right now with the Nets, he does have that, and that's mm-hmm. why he's sort of satisfied. Kevin Durant is sort of a laid-back superstar where you know he's okay with not being in the spotlight. He's okay with letting somebody else lead. Right. Um, which we kind of saw in in Warriors. With the Warriors, right? I think the, I think Curry was kind of the lead there. Um, Kevin Durant was, you know, definitely not exactly behind Curry, but just a little bit more laid back, a little bit out of the spotlight, kind of just play basketball and be quiet. I just think James Harden. I think he's a little bit more like a Kevin Durant, but at the same time, it's just it's a, it's two major talents. And I think that both of them can sort of outshadow Ke- mm. Kyrie Irving, and I don't I don't see the mesh being one hundred percent there. Yes. And going off with what you said about the Knicks, 100 percent right. I think if you if the Russ if if the Knicks can acquire Russell Westbrook through a, a trade and not give up RJ Barrett to the eighth overall pick, um it'd be pretty incredible for them, but I just question like where you know they gotta get something of somewhat right. of equivalent talent, I, I mean, think it's basically going, yeah, going back to what the Rock has traded for him, it was Chris Paul who's a top tier point guard in the league, plus first overall picks, um a, a lot of stuff being on the move there. Um I think to match that talent you have to give up somebody like RJ Barrett and the eighth overall pick. Um, we'll have to see. You know, I think if they're gonna be traded, it's gonna be in the next couple of days. Um, you know, there's not too much time in this off season, as we said, only seventy two days. Only you know, a certain window where they can really get those all season trades in. Uh so it should be really interesting. I think I think the actual trades go through in about a week from now, but I think it's I think it's once after the draft is over, hmm. they can officially go through. So we'll have to see, you know, again, within the next, like, month or so, we'll have probably a lot of trades going down. But that, that about makes up all the trades for the week. Um, going into the uh, draft, which is this Wednesday night. Again, I forgot to do the mock draft. Uh, but going off of Parrish's mock draft uh, on CBS Sports, um, we have the first overall pick we have in Minnesota so Timberwolves. I think he projects is going to be uh, LaMelo Ball. Well, I do think LaMelo Ball is really talented. I do expect Anthony Edwards to go first. I think he's a better fit over in Minnesota. Extremely, extremely talented out of Georgia. Uh, his offensive uh, abilities, I think, closely match James Harden. Um, I think defensively he's very sound, too. Um, I think he's he's really what, what you want. was going to be a shooting guard for the uh, Timberwolves. Again, super talented. Uh, in my opinion, fits the best. Makes a ton of sense. He'll match nicely with D'Angelo Russell and Cat. Uh, we'll make a nice trio there. I do think he's going to go first. Uh, Second overall, we have the Warriors. I can't tell what the Warriors are going to do here. There's a ton of avenues they can explore, right? They can go ahead and trade this pick uh, because they want to win now with the amount of talent they have on the team. They can go with somebody like James Wiseman, who dropped out of uh, Memphis but is extremely, really talented. Um, You know, the best center in the draft by far, in my opinion. Um, They can go with somebody like him. Or they can go back to somebody like uh, LaMelo Ball. We've seen them be willing to take on extra guard talent. But uh, with D'Angelo Russell, obviously they didn't keep him. Um, it doesn't make too much sense for him to keep him, even though he's relatively young. I think if you grow a talent like LaMelo Ball, was—you know I didn't think he was that great in high school. Um, when he went to Lithuania, I don't think he was great. But when he went to the Australian League, he grew incled- incredibly, right? He went from a six-foot relative prospect to a six-foot-six uh, point guard. He was, he was extremely versatile, um, extremely talented on the offensive end. Um, you know, I think he, he could go here, but if I had to – I can't really say what the Warriors are going to do, but if I had to make a pick for the Warriors, I'd go with James Wiseman. I think it rounds out. I think it's really what they're missing is that superstar center talent. Um, and I think he'll be the one that really wells out the lineup for the Warriors. I think he's going to be the best fit there. Um, and third, we have the Hornets. Again, they lack so much talent. They can really take anybody. Um, I'd expect them to go in the middle of the ball here. Um, if the middle of the ball fails to pick three, it just makes the most sense. The ball's talent there. Um... Not much to say about there, other than I already talked about Lambo Ball. I think he would have fit best at what the Hornets are uh, going through. Pick four, I probably I'm going to have to agree with uh, Parish here. Um, he is Obi Toppin going to Chicago at pick four. Um, you know he was incredible out of Dayton. Um, his, his ability to dunk the ball, you know his ability as a power forward is just incredible. Six uh, nine, really talented prospect. Um, you know, yeah, it really should be interesting because Billy Do- Billy Donovan just just take over. In Chicago, It should be interesting to see how he handles the top and if he does go to Chicago. Again, really talented player there. Um, then I probably agree with him here. Um, pick five, the Cavaliers will probably go with. Uh, Denny Avdija, I, I struggle with his name, I apologize. He's the best international talent. Uh, Israel's small forward, 6'9", uh, 250 pounds. He's been really talented. I think his playmaking ability is really what separates him um, from the rest of the international prospects. Um, which has been pretty consistent we saw with Luka Doncic right we saw his playmaking ability one of the better talents that he had and i think Danny Danny Abdiha is a really talented prospect from what i've seen from him um i'm always i'm not always huge on international prospects i think they bust more often than they they succeed um but again i do think he is worth taking as a really high pick um and then going from there i think you know you could have a ton a ton of different um possibilities but i'm just gonna go through a couple of prospects that i really like um i really like isaac okoro out of auburn i thought he was really talented at auburn um we saw them make that title run last year and he was you know um you know he you know him being a freshman um he wasn't a part of that but i think he, he was really solid for auburn this year um played really well from what i've seen from him um you know he's really versatile definitely an elite defender i think whoever would pick him up would do really nice there um, I think Killian Hayes out of France is also solid, another uh, international prospect. Um, you know, not, not the greatest. I think if any team's going to take Killian Hayes, it'd probably be the Knicks because they just love their international prospects. So he's definitely a possibility. Um, Onyeka Okongu, I really bow with his name <laughs> as well. Uh, coming out of the UC, I've actually seen him play a decent amount. He's really talented. Uh, whatever team gets him is going to be in for quite the pickup um, you know, he's fresh, he's kind of a power forward, small forward, a uh, really versatile guy on um, shot 62% from the field for USC. So he's definitely, um, could be a top five player, but he could slip as perishments in his article. <clears throat> um, next player that I think is really, I think in my opinion, he should be a top three pick in the draft. If the Knicks pick him, uh, this is at you, Brian, be very excited. Uh, we have Sadiq Bay, small forward who won, who was the best small forward in college basketball last year out of Villanova, uh, six, eight small forward. Um, this guy is absolutely incredible. His ability, his his progression to Villanova is absolutely insane. Um he, to put it in perspective, he he's a six eight uh small forward, extremely good defender, right? Very pretty athletic, very, very fundamentally sound. I'm cur- uh, shot forty-five percent from the three, which is huge, coming from a small forward. And most importantly, he has the ability to handle the ball. He's very good at handling the ball. Um I think Sadiq Bey is gonna be absolutely a talent in in the NBA. I could see him being one of the superstars in the NBA one day. From what I, you know, again, I have a little bit of bias here because he is from Villanova, but again, really good player right there. Um, going on from here, um, just going through some of the talents. We have Cole Anthony, who did not have a great year at UNC, uh, for a little bit. Son of Greg Anthony, um, he hasn't been going at fourteen. Honestly, would agree, but I still think he's a really solid talent. I don't think he's up there in the top tier of prospects, which he was coming into. You know, he's a freshman, uh, one-and-done player. Um, you know, he was projected to go top five. Um, now he's kind of the 15, middle middle of the the first-round pick. And I agree with that. I thought from the beginning he was never that great. Um, and I do think that he will be picked around the, that time. Um, he hasn't been going to the Celtics, which I find really interesting there because they have Kemba Walker, they have Tremont Waters, um, they have Carson Edwards, they have a ton of point guards. I don't know why they would take any more than Anthony. Interesting pick there, uh, Patrick Williams, who I think is really close to uh, OG Ab- Um I always think with his name, I'm really bad with names sometimes. Um, I think he's he's really comparable to him uh, coming out of Florida State, six uh, eight, uh, you know, really versatile player. Um, you know, not great from the three, but a still decent prospect at wing. And I think we've seen a lot of solid players come out of Florida State because a wing prospects. So I remember Terrence Newman was really good. Um, hasn't really made his mark on the NBA yet, but a lot of good talent on Florida State. We have RJ Hampton, who did not really play last year, um, who was gonna be like a top five pick, kind of fell. Um should be interesting to see where he goes here. Um, you know, six five shooting guard. I think he might be one of the steals of the draft if he if he comes up to the prospect that he was supposed to be coming out of high school, um if he comes to the middle the round pick, he could be really solid. Um, could be one of the steals of the draft. Yeah, Tyrese Maxey out of Kentucky was really good. Uh, I really like him. Uh, yeah, Jalen Smith, center from Maryland, he was extremely good. Uh, this guy is going to be a really nice center. I think he's probably my number two in terms of pure centers in the draft. Uh, probably number two behind James Wiseman. You know, he, he's comparable to uh, Anyeka Okongwu, but I would probably label him as a power forward. Um, I think again, one of the if we're talking pure center prospects, um, I really like Jalen Smith. Trey Jones, uh, Duke point guard, he was really good this year. I think he's one of those, those – uh, he's probably going to be a late first rounder. Uh, he should be a steal. Um, I think I'd say Stewart was solid for Washington. He's going to be solid. Josh Green, who was who, uh, prepared, uh, matched up really nicely in Arizona uh, with his with his teammate. I can't even blank his name right now, but really good uh, forward slash guard um, for them. Uh, Jamie McDaniels is really solid out of Washington. Um, so now we're kind of going into those second round type talents. Um, so second round talents, I think there's a lot of good second second round talent this year. Um, if you pick any of these players in the first slash second round, you're doing really well. Uh, I'd be definitely satisfied with, with with that pick. You have Cassius Winston, who I think everyone knows him. A senior out of uh, <clears throat> sorry for that Michigan State was uh, really really good point guard uh, from Michigan State over the years. Extremely good leader his playmaking ability, I think his ability to get to the ring uh, really goes unmatched. And I think, you know, he's one of those players that because he's he spent all his years in college, he didn't have maybe the athletic profile they'd be looking for in the NBA. But his talent and his fundamentals goes far beyond um his athleticism. We be have at Bernard Carey, who was probably my third rank center um out of this draft, six ten out of Duke. He was incredible for Duke. I honestly think that he might get picked mid round, depending on if he wants to Trigger on him uh, Extremely talented You know Probably the best player For Duke last season I agree with Parrish In his article um, So he he Does pro- uh, provide a, a good amount Of center talent For whatever teams Pick him up uh, So going to Second round projections Right now um, Going through the list You had Nico Mannion Which that was his name uh, He was the He was matched up With uh, Josh Green Arizona Really good uh, Player Right there um, Definitely could be A pickup Good pickup For whoever gets him In the second round um, going through his list, um, I like Skylar Mays. He was really good um, for LSU, six uh, four shooting guard. I think he's going to be a nice pickup in the second round of uh, whoever gets him. You have Aduka Azubuke, who was incredible for Kansas. This guy was a monster over in Kansas. I remember seeing him play in the Wells Fargo Center against Villanova. Uh, extremely talented center could, could provide a lot of talent out of that second round pick. Uh, you have Marcus Howard, who this guy, Marcus Howard. Uh, I don't even know who to compare it to. He has the shooting ability of Stephen Curry, but might be better than him. His ability to score, I think, is going to be unmatched when he comes to the NBA. He's got to work, you know. He's got to work on his deep on his defensive end. But if if you're looking for somebody to put up points, Marcus Howard is definitely the guy. In my opinion, the best scorer in, M- in college basketball last year. And and if you watch the highlights of him, it, his ability to shoot is going to be incredible. Um, whoever picks him him up, is going to have a, a really good time uh, in terms of their offense. He's going to provide a lot of offensive talent. Um, Continue going through the list. Uh, Emmanuel Quickly, who comes – I think he's their solid talent. Um, I think – I forget. I think he's out of Kentucky. I can't remember off the top of my head where he was from. Uh, But he was really good. I remember watching him. Uh, Very good there. Good second-round draft pick. Um, Najee Marshall was incredible, right? Out of Xavier, he was really good. Like him. Uh, Miles Powell, who I think he he might get – you know – his, his most easily comparable, he, you know, he's got the scoring ability nearly of like Marcus Howard. He's really comparable to James Harden. He's a little bit shorter. Uh, maybe not be a, might not be as athletic, but his ability to score and lead and playmake is really incredible. Um, so, again, it should be really really good draft. A lot of good talent, I think, throughout the entire draft. Um, should be interesting to see uh, who gets what. Um, I'm looking through the picks. I guess the Knicks don't have a second-round pick, which is... Oh, uh, they do have first two first rounders this year. They have the twenty-seventh pick uh, via Los Angeles Clippers when they <clears throat> traded um Morris. So that should be a solid pickup for them. You know, they could they could reach at a second rounder. A lot of a lot of options for the Knicks here, uh for Brian. Um yeah, a lot a lot of good talent in the draft. Uh Brian, do you have any comments, questions, concerns?
0: Um No, not really. I just hope the next. I I hope the Knicks don't mess up the eighth pick. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Again, I'm looking at the eighth pick. There's a lot of places they can go. I think if you're at the eighth pick and you're the Knicks, right, if LaMelo Ball, James Wiseman, Anthony Edwards, Obi Toppin, Denny, Abdiha are on the board, any of those players are on the board, you take them. But then you have players like, as Parrish projects, you have Hal Burton out of Iowa State, Okoro, uh, Hayes. Those are also solid picks. You know, maybe not. If I had to pick out of, out of the next round of players that I don't think that are in that same tier, I'd probably go with the Kungu from USC. I think he's going to prefer, uh, provide a really nice power forward talent for you guys. Um, or I'd go Sadiq Bay. I think those are probably the next two players I'd pick out of that next set of players. Okay. Um, you know, so much. Oh, uh, again, I think there's a lot of talent in this draft. Uh, Cassius Winston, Miles Powell, Marcus Howard, great, great college basketball players that I think are one of those players that, because they didn't have the athletic profile, they're not going to get picked early, spend a lot of their years in college basketball. I think all three of them are seniors. Um, I believe all three of them are seniors coming out into this draft, so, but I think their talent is is really off the charts and I think the fundamentals is going to be great. Um, with that being said, I think that concludes our NBA section for the day. Um, just finishing it off, a little bit of college basket, college news. Uh, a Marsh Madness was announced that it would be coming back uh, in March this, this year. Um, it's gonna be they're gonna do it sort of a way in the NBA did in terms of a bubble. It's gonna be one geographic region. Uh, leak yesterday, or not leak, but it was announced yesterday that it would be considered that they were going to do it one geographic region. It was announced today. They kind of confirmed it. They plan to have it in Indianapolis. Um, great to have March Madness back. I think everybody loves March Madness. It's such an exciting time. You know, you have all these basketball games back-to-back. Um, one shot, you get one game. Really exciting, having to have that back. And a little bit of college, uh, a little bit of small talk. I want to talk about college football. I personally haven't been covering it um, for a couple reasons. Being, I think we've had a jam-packed schedule um with with our podcast and i think i, I know max is a fan of college basketball uh, football too um but i also think it's a really tough year to judge right you have you have your team successes but with that how much COVID is impacted in terms of offsetting the schedules um players being absent from week to week it's really hard to talk about college football on a consistent basis i think it's more of this year is, is less of you know whoever does win up winning the national championship it's going to be a huge asterisk in my opinion because you have players like clemson right you had Lawrence get COVID was out. They got uh they got destroyed by Notre uh, Dame. Destroyed, but they got beat by Notre Dame. Um, and we know how big of how good Trevor Lawrence is, how crucial part of Clemson is for how big how crucial the part he is to Clemson. Um, not having him for a week is really crucial. I think it's really hard to judge. You know, I think team success this year is with the all setting schedules, but I think more so, I, I think it's been our schedule being jam packed. So I just wanted to address that. Um, with that being said, I do think it is a great year to look at prospects. Uh, when you have people like, as we mentioned earlier, Kyle Trask, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, high quarterback talent. You have Jamar Chase coming out, Jalen Waddell. Uh, the list goes on and on in terms of talent. I think there's a lot of individual talent because in of prospects, but I just think it's really tough to judge um, team success this year as well as our schedule's been jam-packed. Uh, Max, do you have anything to say on. Uh, actually. On that? Nope. I know I didn't really discuss it beforehand, but.
1: <laughs> uh, actually. Um, last week I was just sitting down in my room and I was going through my list of potential playoff scenarios. Do you want do we have plans so I can go over them? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so so first of all before we go into my scenarios, I just wanna I'll go over the like the most likely um the most teams that have the best chance to make the playoffs in my opinion. Number one, I'm gonna say Ohio State I think has the best chance of any of these teams make the playoff. Um, their toughest test as of um, is Indiana this weekend who's number nine in the nation. I still think they're going to beat them. And After that, it's probably it's probably a cakewalk to the Big Ten championship. So I f- fully believe, knowing where their ranking is now, I think they're going to be in that playoff. Um, number two, I'd say I'd say Clemson. I'd give them the next highest chance because even though they had that loss to Notre Dame, um, I see them winning the rest of their schedule no problem in the in the um, um, ACC championship game, assuming it's against Notre Dame. Uh, I couldn't. I couldn't see Clemson losing that game twice because number one, uh, they get Trevor Lawrence back, obviously. Number two, I thought they did. I thought they played kind of an undisciplined game that night, and they still almost won. So I, I would think Clemson goes into that ACC championship game and wins it by twenty points, if not more. Um, number, um, the next um, team with the next highest possibility, I think of entering is Alabama. Of course, um, I feel like they're gonna cakewalk to the. SC Championship, the that game um, itself is going to be a lot a tighter of a game than I think it would. I would have said a couple weeks ago. I thought, um, um, probably earlier in October, I thought Alabama would have wiped out Florida. That is not the case anymore. I think Florida could really give them a good fight. And at number four, that spot is probably to Notre Dame, assuming they don't. They are only lost to the A C Championship. So, so for the first likely scenario, I say Bama number one, assuming they win out. Ohio State, assuming they went out. Clemson, assuming they went out. And then Notre Dame um, gets that last spot, assuming they their only loss is the ACC championship game. And then the last two teams out, I think, would be Texas A&M, who would only finish the season with one loss, and Florida, who would their next loss would be the um, SEC championship game, which, of course, would give them two losses and no chance of the playoffs. Um, scenarios two and three, I think these are or you really can tie them together it's pretty much the same um, pretty much the same results but it, you really have you, you'll see what I mean when I go over it so so the scenario is Clemson wins out and wins the ACC championship so yeah that stays the same, Ohio State stays the same Notre Dame um, stays the same, they win the remaining games except the ACC championship and in this scenario Florida wins the SEC over Bama, At Bama's only law Florida wins out and wins the and gets a playoff spot because they win the SEC. So then Bama, and then Bama misses out. Actually, wait, hold on. Not not yet. So then Bama lo- finishes with one loss on the year in the SEC championship. And then AM, same thing. They finish the regular season with one loss. So scenario two, which I think is more likely. So I think what these scenarios come down to is if, depending on how the last few weeks go. So if Bama wins, if Bama loses their game to Florida but puts up a really good fight and Notre Dame gets blown out I think the case could be yeah, Notre Dame beat Clemson but they that was without Trevor Lawrence and they got blown out with them whereas Bama really put up a good fight against a team that is in the playoff so I think in that scenario the playoff would be Ohio State number one, Clemson number two, Florida number three Bama four and then Notre Dame would be fifth and then Texas A&M sixth but the third scenario which in that case would be um that, that would be the um, um, Notre Dame have, pulling a close game against Clemson, which obviously if they lost that, they'd be in because they'd beat already. That'd be Ohio State, number one, Clemson, number two, Florida, third, um, Notre Dame, fourth, Bama, five, and Texas A&M, six. So then the fourth scenario I'm going to talk about is um, Bama wins out, Ohio State wins out, Clemson wins out, Notre Dame, same thing. They get the... Um, they lose that one game to Clemson. Florida loses that one game to Bam. And, of course, they're out at that point because Florida's only path is they win out. If they do that, they will be in. If not, they will not be in the playoffs. So that so the scenario is that they lose. And then Texas A&M finishing the season with one loss. And this is where things become interesting because, wait, no. I said Notre, in this scenario, Notre Dame gets upset in one of their remaining games because they have UNC— and Wake Forest on their schedule. So those are the two games I think are most likely they get upset. So in that scenario, where Texas A&M finishes one loss, you have them at number one because they went out, Ohio State because they went out at number two. Clemson wins out, at, and they get to number three because they went out. And then the, Texas A&M is the fourth spot because they finish the regular season with one regular season with one loss, and assuming Notre Dame gets upset or, or um gets blown out in that game, so Clemson, they're the fifth seed, and then Florida's the sixth seed. And then scenario five, which I think is really unlikely, Bama winning out, Ohio State winning out, Notre Dame winning out. Yes, I don't, I know I don't think that's going to happen, but I have to consider it because they um, because they did beat Clemson once. So I'll entertain that possibility. Florida winning, same scenario, winning the East, but losing the SEC championship. And then A&M finishing the season with one loss. So in that scenario, Bama won. Notre Dame at two because they keep their spot, which they have already. Ohio State at number three, Texas A at number four because they only have one loss, and then Clemson and Florida below them because they have two losses. So, yeah, there's a lot to keep an eye on in this playoff because those are the six teams I really think they're in the thick of things right now. Um, Cincinnati and BYU. I just the committee's made it pretty clear over the past few years that they're not going to put in teams with um, um who are out of who are not in the Power Five. In Texas A&M, you got to watch out for them because it has done, been done before, where teams have made the playoff, not winning their division, but only having one loss. And if Notre Dame gets upset, and then that'd be two losses because they lose in the in the ACC championship, ACC championship game. So if Notre Dame loses two games, or Clemson loses that ACC championship game at Florida, if Clemson loses that, but Notre Dame also loses another one of those games, that's where A&M could really come into play. So keep an eye on it. Yeah,
2: I I think I I like your scenarios. Um, if I had to pick my top six teams right now, I'd probably go Ohio State one, Clemson two, um, Bama three. I go Florida four, five Notre Dame, and then six Texas Texas A and M. So I pretty much agree with your list. Um, definitely, definitely, all the scenarios are definitely promising. Yep. yep. All
0: right. Is that it for the college football section? I believe so. Okay, um, so I think that ends this week's podcast. Any final thoughts, Nick?
2: Um, no, not really. Uh, long one. I think a really interesting news week. Uh, a lot of good stuff here. Um, NBA draft this week. A lot of trades in the NBA. Uh, really interesting stuff going on in the NFL. College football is getting gearing up for the playoffs. Um, a lot of good stuff here. You know, I think it's it's less widespread stuff because we don't have as much MLB or NHL, but uh, a lot of the a little bit more detail in terms of the NFL mba and college so a uh, really good week this week uh thank you guys for listening if you guys have any comments questions concerns feel free to leave them at my email at 10yahoocom corbeth 10 yahoo.com than that uh, again thank you guys for listening see you guys next week handing it back to brian
0: all right any final thoughts max no i'm good all right um so that ends this week's podcast thanks for listening if you have any comments questions whatever you can dm us or email us if you want to um check out our videos on youtube instagram tiktok our website thesportuniverse.com, and other than that thanks for listening oh wait if you have any interest writing for us or editing videos contact uh, the 2019gmailcom other than that thanks for listening